0: said, Happy Mother's Day. Uh, would you please show your appreciation for moms this morning? Just give them a round of applause. Yeah. You bet. If you are new, we are in a, a series of sermons that we have been calling Engage. What we're trying to do in this series is encourage one another uh, to become intentional about engaging the, uh, the needs of our neighbors. And by neighbors, we mean the people around whom you uh, work or that you play, live, uh, and study. And so part of this series, as part of this series, we rolled out last week something I'm really excited about. It's a new tool that is available to us through a local organization called Community One. And it's a tool in which we can actually track how much we as a church are actually engaging our neighbors. The tool is a website. It's at a place called lynevv.org, which stands for Love Your Neighbor, EVV. Uh, dot org and what you can do out there is that you can enter something that you've done, an act of love that you've done uh, for someone that's a neighbor of yours in some way, shape or form, and it will track how many acts of love that we have done as a church and you were given when you came in this morning in your program a, a QR card uh, that you can shoot with your phone that will take you to the website. Uh, the card also has uh, the password for uh, city church on the site and each Thursday, I get a report. ...on the things that people have done. Now, I don't get any names. It's like, I don't know who's done what. I just get a list of the things that people have done. And here's the deal. You guys, as the church, have knocked this out of the park. As of a few moments ago, uh, earlier this morning, I guess, we have 242 acts of love that have been done just since we introduced this thing last week. In fact, you've so knocked it out of the park that Community One found a bug in the site that they didn't know was there... Uh, until City Church began to become enrolled in this thing and that we began to knock this thing out of the park. So fantastic job. Um, Here's a few. Let me just give you some ideas. Some of you may be going, you know, I want to do something to love my neighbor. I just don't know exactly what to do. Well, let me just give you a few of the very creative things that people at City Church have done this week. Again, I don't know the names. I just know the things that people have done. Let me give you some examples. Someone worked a shift at uh, Ronald McDonald House. That's pretty neat. Another another person put together a care package for a friend whose daughter is having surgery out of town. I think that's cool. Listen to this. Another person went the extra mile for a boss so that he could have an afternoon off and feel satisfied and I suppose comfortable uh, in doing so. Someone else went shopping for a disabled person. I love this one. Uh, Someone helped troubleshoot technology problems for someone from a different company for one and a half hours. And then just to make sure we understood, this person says, so it's like pro bono hours. We get that. So Someone donated new shoes, clothing, makeup to the United Methodist Girls' Home. Uh, someone left a bouquet of peonies for an elderly neighbor to enjoy. But here's my favorite one of all the things that have been done. And they've all been great, but here's, here's the one I, that was sort of my favorite because it sounds like this person uh, prevented a very serious crime. They said, During a visit with my neighbor, he told me that he was ready to cause harm to the one who sold him a defective riding mower. After assisting him with the mower, I calmed him down to where he could continue his gardening and address the issue more passively. (laughs) Fantastic job, whoever you are. (laughs) Sounds like you prevented a very serious crime. Uh, So great job. Uh, Really to everybody, uh, all of the things that that I've read um, are fantastic. All the things that you guys have done are fantastic. Keep up the great work. Our goal is to see 5,000 acts of love from City Church between now and the end of the year. So please uh, keep it up, because we recognize something here as a church that love talked about, well, that's easily ignored, but love demonstrated is irresistible. What we want to be about as a church is demonstrating the love of Jesus Christ to the community that we're in. And so let's just do this. Let's, let's, uh, let's just repeat our vision statement. Let's say it together. Uh, the vision of City Church is to bring spiritual, social, and cultural renewal to the city of Evansville and beyond through a movement of people who are being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, at the end of my talk this morning, I want to uh, tell you about something else that we're doing as an act of love for our neighbors in the city that I think you'll be very excited about. It. I'm excited about it. But before we do that, uh, I want to ask you to turn to the passage that we're going to spend the next few weeks uh, as part of this series, and if you have a Bible with you, whatever format that you have it in, t- turn with me to Luke chapter ten uh, Luke chapter ten, and this passage that we 're going to look at is arguably uh, one of the most well known in all the Bible. it 's the parable uh, of the Good Samaritan. For those of you who may not know a parable is uh, it 's a form of literature that Jesus often used as a way of telling uh, stories to make a deeply sp- penetrating spiritual point for people who are willing to hear it. Uh, He would often use fictional characters, but uh, he would set those characters in a very real-life issue to get his point across. So for instance, you may not know this, but this particular parable has fictional characters, but it's set in the context of of the very real 550-year racial tension between pure-blooded Jewish people and the mixed-blooded Jewish Gentile people, the Samaritans, both of whom deeply resented one another. Now, one of the things that's fascinating about this parable is the context. Just a chapter before Jesus tells this parable in chapter 10, back in chapter 9, he sends his disciples ahead of him into an actual Samaritan village. And the Samaritans in that village, perhaps predictably, weren't excited about this pure-blooded Jewish man that called himself the Messiah Jesus. So they weren't hospitable toward him. Well, this angered Jesus' disciples. They were so enraged in their racial hatred that Luke says, he says that when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, and listen to this, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Now, that's, that's extreme, wouldn't you say? I mean, Jesus' Jesus' own disciples are, at this point in their spiritual development, so full of hatred, they want to go scorched earth on these people. DEFCON One. And I guess I would ask you guys this, how many of you think it's a coincidence that the hero in this parable that Jesus is about to tell turns out to be, guess who? A Samaritan. You think that's a coincidence? I don't think so at all. Now this morning we're not actually going to get into the parable itself. We'll save that for the next couple of weeks. I want to look at the situation that provoked Jesus telling of this parable. I think that's really important. Then we'll then we'll dive into the parable itself, as I said, in the next two weeks. Very important though that we see what leads up to this parable. Let me just do this. I want to walk through the story first with you, and then I want to tally up at the end specifically some of the things that we learn through this parable. Read with me, if you would, from verse 25 of Luke chapter 10. Luke 10. Uh, Verse 25, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test, underline or highlight that word test, uh, to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this, do this, and you will uh, live. So now when Luke describes this man as an expert in the law, he's not really describing a lawyer in the way that you and I, uh, I think, would think about a lawyer. He's describing someone who we would think of today as a deeply religious Uh, Scholar, a religious intellectual, someone who has devoted his entire life to the study of the law that God had given uh, to the nation of Israel through Moses, way back in Israel's history—the moral, the ceremonial, the civil uh, law that God had given to Israel. It laid out to them how they were to worship God and how they how they were to live in community with one another. Now, these religious intellectuals like this man had no love for Jesus. Uh, For many reasons. One, they didn't buy his claim that he was the Messiah of Israel. He wasn't anything like the Messiah that they were expecting. Two, they really didn't appreciate the fact that he was usurping their power and their prestige in Israel among the people. And three, they didn't appreciate the way that he taught the Mosaic Law. And in the process, the way he challenged their teaching. I mean, who was he to challenge their teaching? I mean, they were scholars. They were intellectuals. Jesus, as far as they were concerned, was just an uneducated Jewish carpenter. They thought He didn't know the law uh, like they did. They, They thought He didn't value it like they did. And they thought that He played fast and loose with it, teaching people, they thought, that they didn't have to obey the law. And so throughout the Gospels, there are a number of intellectual skirmishes like this one between Jesus and these experts in the law. Now, it's important to notice, verse 25 says that this guy wants to test Jesus. The word actually there, uh, the word there is actually a word that uh, that has a negative connotation. To trap Jesus, he wanted to trap Jesus. He wants to trap Jesus into saying something that shows that he doesn't value the law. So this guy gets right to the point. What must I do to inherit uh, eternal life? And you see, this is what the religious experts in Israel thought that the law said they taught that the law said believe in God and obey the law and you will be saved in fact this is what every religion in the world teaches in fact I think I think that's what most people even many of you think Christianity teaches I think many people think that Christianity teaches that you have to behave enough you have gotta do enough good things not do too many bad things be moral be good Many people think that that's what you have to do to get God's approval. In other words, and you've seen me use this before, in fact, even as as recently as Easter, uh, many people think that Christianity teaches this, believe, believe in God, plus obey, and you will be saved. Now, every religion does teach that. And so this man, not Christianity... But every religion teaches that. And so this man is asking this question because he wants to get Jesus to say something to the effect that the law isn't important, that you don't have to obey the law. But Jesus turns the table on this man. He puts it back on him. And so he asks him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And really, there's there's two things going on, two things happening with that question. One is that he's appealing to this guy's intellectual ego, like he's putting this man on ground that he feels really comfortable on this man, right? Because he's an expert in the law. So he's letting this guy sort of be very, very comfortable in what he's going to say. But then the second thing is that he's asking the man to explain the heart behind the law. He can't, the law is too long for this man to be able to, to say everything that's in the law. So Jesus is asking him to summarize it. To give the heart behind it. You know, what's it really all about? If you took all of the law, Jesus is asking him. If you took all of the law and summarized it, what does it say? And so this man quickly demonstrates his scholarship and his mastery of the law in combining two passages uh, from the law. Deuteronomy 6.5, Leviticus 19.18. And he quotes these passages back to Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And, of course, he's right about that. That is exactly how Jesus himself summarized the law. Some of you may remember that. Somebody asked him one time, you know, how do you summarize? What's, What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said exactly this. And so when this man says this, Jesus replies to him, yep, you got it, now go do it. And on the surface, on the surface it seems like, Jesus is affirming the idea that we can be saved by obeying the law. Seems like he's saying that, right? Yeah, you've got it. Now, now go do it. But that's absolutely not what Jesus is doing. Anybody remember, any of you guys remember the goofy movie from 2004 called Napoleon Dynamite? Anybody remember that movie? Okay. It was really goofy. There was this character, some of you may remember, there's this character in the movie named Uncle Rico. Anybody remember Uncle Rico? Yeah. And Uncle Rico was one of these glory day athletes who's now like in his 40s, but he, uh, he swears in this movie, he swears that he can throw a football, remember, over a mountain range that is close to his nephew's uh, house. Well, what Jesus is doing here with this expert in the law is it's like he's telling Uncle Rico, so do it. Let's see you. Throw the football over the mountain range. So he's saying to this guy, let's see you do it. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, like all of your mind, all of your soul. Love your neighbor in the same way you love yourself. Let's see you do it. And do you understand what's happening here? Do you see this, what's happening? This guy came for Jesus to show that Jesus didn't hold the law in high regard, but he just caught this guy in his own trap. Because if this guy has an ounce of self-awareness, he would realize that doing this, loving God perfectly, loving your neighbor perfectly, if that's how you want to be saved, then you're hopeless, you're lost. Because it's as, as impossible as throwing a football over a mountain range. Think about it. Think about that. Never have one single idol ever before God. Never, not ever in your life, value anything else more than you value God. Don't even think about something for a split second that you might value more than God. Nothing ever comes before God. Nothing satisfies you ever, makes you happier ever, more than God. Ever. And then love your neighbor perfectly. If you want to be saved by the law, if you want to be saved by your obedience, this is what you have to do. Love your neighbor perfectly with all of the intensity, all of the urgency, all of the resources that you give to loving yourself and meeting your own needs, and do it all the time, 24-7, every single day, every single second of your life. Can you do that? The only way to believe that you have never loved anything more than God ever in your entire life, and that you have loved your neighbor perfectly all the time, the only way to do that is to rationalize the law down to a manageable standard. And so what Jesus has just shown this man, that it's this guy, not Jesus, who plays fast and loose with the law. Because this guy believes that he has done that. And the only way that you can believe that is to bring the law down to human level. Jesus has just shown him this. Here's an intellectual, an expert in the law, who is blinded to the fallacies in his own thinking. He came to trap Jesus, but Jesus ended up trapping him. But I do want you to see this. though. I want you to understand something here. The motives for the trapping are completely different. I mean, this guy's trap for Jesus was malicious in his intent, right? But Jesus lovingly caught caught this man in his own trap. Why? Why do I say that? Why was it loving for Jesus to spring this trap on this guy? Because sometimes the only way that a prideful person will see reality is to make them face reality, right? This man's only hope is to recognize what the Bible says about every human being, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Only when you recognize that you're a sinner, broken, unable to measure up, no matter how good you are, you still don't measure up, only then will you face the reality that you need a Savior and humbly come before the cross of Christ. That is this man's only hope. And Jesus loves this man enough to make him face reality. That's what he's doing. He's trying to make this man face reality to see inside that he doesn't love God perfectly. He doesn't love his neighbor as as himself. And so if he's trying to be justified by obeying the law, he's lost and he's hopeless. That's what Jesus wants him to see. Now let's do this. Let's kind of tally up some of the things that we learn in this passage. Like what are some of the major principles that we can learn in this particular passage of Scripture. Well, one is that the essence of humanity, the essence of humanity is love. Like the essence of being human is love. Would, would you note that in this passage? Uh, there are some things that can be said for this man. Uh, even though his motives are bad, this expert in the law, he has at least some of the right assumptions, because the question that he asks Jesus reflects the assumption that he understands that he was created for a purpose, that God designed him for something. And so in essence, he's asking Jesus, what is it that I've been created for so that uh, in doing that, I can fulfill the reason for my design and have eternal life? And what's the answer? What's the answer? What's the answer that Jesus gives them? Jesus says that the answer, the reason for which you were created, is love. Love is what it means to be human. Would you please note that? It's not achievement. Uh, It's not good grades. It's not intellectualism. It's not athletic prowess. It's not business prowess. There's nothing wrong with those things uh, if they're done in love for God and love for your neighbor. If they're done for those reasons, all of those things are very good and very right. But first and foremost, it's love that makes you most human. How many of you teach your children that? How many of you teach your children by your words and by your actions that what makes them most human is their ability to love? How many of you teach people that, your, your kids that or your grandkids? How many of you think that you teach by your words and your actions that what makes them human is their achievements? their grades, their sports ability. How many of you think you teach that? Jesus says that the essence of being human is love. Computers can accomplish tasks. Computers can spit out knowledge. The military is designing robots that can accomplish athletic tasks. Computers can put out business models. They can buy and sell stocks on Wall Street. Only humans can love. What makes you most human is the love that you have and show for the people around you. But there's something else that's really important that you've got to see in this passage. And that is that the only way to start loving is to admit that you aren't loving. Like that you can't love. It's the only way to start. Because isn't that what Jesus wanted this expert in the law to see? Isn't that what he wanted him to see? The right response for this expert in the law to Jesus' statement, do this and you will live. The right response, if this expert in the law had an ounce of self-awareness, would have been for him to say, I I, I can't do that. I I can't love God like that. Uh, I I can't love my neighbor in the same way that I love myself. I mean, I can try, but I'll never get there. I'll never do that perfectly. And ironically, the thing that makes us the most human is the one thing that is the most broken in all of us. Some of you were here back before Easter. We did a, a series before Easter that we called Twisted. And, and, and in that series, we were looking at the moment that, uh, that sin entered the world. And we looked at how it twisted every aspect of God's creation. And, and one of the things that we saw is that, is that one of the main ways that it twisted humanity is that it has made us all painfully, painfully self-absorbed. And so what typically passes for love in this world, and and frankly, in many of our lives, what typically passes for love is really just an extension of our self-absorption. We love people who make us feel good about ourselves. We love people who are like us. We love people who have the same ideologies that we have, who reinforce the things that we believe, who treat us well, who keep peace with us, and who who do things for us. We don't love people who shake our sense of equilibrium. We don't love people who hurt us. We don't love people who betray us. We don't love people who prevent us from getting what we want, who who don't look like us, who don't value the things that we value, and who don't respect us. In other words, as long as you're useful to me, as long as you don't bring me physical or psychological pain, I love you. Um, One of the things, you guys, some of you may have heard me say this before, but one of the things that I often do when I have couples that come in for premarital counseling is I ask them, why is it? What is it about your spouse that you love, or your soon-to-be spouse that you love? And they will always tell me things. Oh, she is so beautiful. He makes me feel so good about myself. She is always my biggest supporter. He makes me laugh. He's so funny. And I, and, and, and I never make fun of that because, I mean, that's, that's where these people are at. But, but I always make the point. Do you realize that everything you've said about what you love is really about you? And then I give them this definition of love. I say, think about this. Here's here's how you know you love another person. It's when meeting their emotional need becomes an emotional need of your own. Like That's when you know you love another person. Not when they're doing everything for you that you want them to do. Not when they're making you feel a particular way. But it's when, meeting, it's when meeting their emotional need becomes an emotional need of your own. And most couples, um, like this is where they're looking at me like with deer in the headlights. Seriously, that's how I'm supposed to love this person I'm marrying? Yeah, that's how you're supposed to love the person you are marrying. But we don't do that naturally, do we? We don't even do it with God. As long as God does for me what I want Him to do, as long as He doesn't allow pain and suffering into my life, long as he doesn't allow pain into my life, I'll love him, I'll worship him. But when suffering comes, when pain comes, when evil touches our lives, we have no use for him, do we? And you see, if any of us, not just this expert in the law, but if any of us had an ounce of self-awareness, we too would say, um, I'm not a lover. I can't love like that. I don't love like that. I don't love God like that. I don't love people like that. We've been Twisted, you see, into self-absorbed, self-centered people. And most of the love, the things that pass for love in our lives and certainly in our culture is merely an extension of our self-absorption. So the only way to start loving is to admit that you aren't loving. But here's the hope. Here's the final point. Love begins when you see that Jesus paid your debt on the cross in an act of sacrificial, selfless love. That's when love begins. That's when you can begin to love. When you see and believe that Jesus paid your debt on the cross in an act of sacrificial, selfless love. Uh, The Bible says that we were still His enemies when Christ died for us on the cross. We didn't have anything to bring to Him. We didn't have anything to offer Him, and yet He did this for us. He let himself be crucified to pay the debt we owed for our inability to love God and the people in the way that we are commanded to do. Sacrificial and selfless, Jesus hung on a Roman cross. That's what love looks like. Now imagine what would have happened to this expert in the law. Imagine what would have happened in his life if he would have really been willing to look inside at himself. The text tells us that he doesn't. You'll see that next week. But what if he would have? What if he would have been really willing to look inside of himself and to be honest enough to admit that he couldn't love in the way that God commanded him to love? What would have happened? Well, first, he would have understood that he was lost, that he was hopeless, that if this is how he was going to be saved, if this is how he was going to inherit eternal life, by obeying uh, the law, by measuring up to the law, that he would be lost. He would have understood that he had no hope. But then later, if, if, he would have, if he would have seen Jesus, later, if he would have seen Jesus dying on the cross, paying his debt for not loving, and doing so out of sheer love for this man, imagine how this man's heart would have been broken. Imagine how, uh, imagine how it would have changed the pridefulness of his heart. And you see, once you understand what Christ has done for you, it frees you from all of your self-absorption. Because it frees you from having to be so concerned about yourself all the time. Because you recognize that if Christ was willing to die for you, there's nothing good that he would ever withhold from you. You recognize that you're loved by the one who is at the center of reality. And once you're freed from your own self-absorption, you can then move out in love for other people. Other people who don't make you feel what you want to feel, perhaps. Who don't have anything to offer you. But you can do it because you don't have to be so worried about your needs anymore because you know Christ is going to meet those needs. Every religion in the world says this. Believe plus obey and you will be saved. Only Christianity says this. Believe Equals salvation. Believe in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And you are saved. Therefore, obey. Not because you're afraid. Not out of guilt. Not out of shame. Not because you're afraid that that God's not going to love you anymore if you don't. Obey because you're so grateful for what Christ has done for you. It's very different. The equation looks so similar, doesn't it? But it's completely and totally different. Here's another way of saying it. Every religion in the world says, you're loved by God because of what you do. Jesus says, you can love because of what I have done for you. The essence of being human is love. And if the essence of being human is love, Jesus was the true human, the ultimate human. And if you think about it, what he died for was to make us human for all of eternity. Love begins when you realize that love looks like Jesus on a cross paying your debt. That's when love begins. That's when you're really free to begin to love someone else. Okay, now, let me tell you about the other thing that we're doing that I'm really excited about. Because we've been speaking about paying Jesus paying our debt. Let me tell you about something that is a chance for City Church to pay someone else's debt. And I think this is really, really exciting. Not long ago, uh, I became aware of a charitable organization called RIP, Medical Debt. It's out of New York City. What they do, what they do is that they eliminate crippling Medical debt for people who live below poverty level. These are people who've had, you know, some sort of expensive medical treatments, and, and, and they can't get out from underneath it. They, they live at or below poverty level, and this is like a noose hanging around their neck. And the way this organization does it, it's a nonprofit organization, the way they do it is that they're able to buy back the debt that these people have for pennies on the dollar. Well, I heard about this, and so I contacted them and um, had some correspondence with them. Uh, I had our accountant do some due diligence on the organization to make sure that they're above board and that they really do what they say that they do and they've identified for us as as a church they've identified for us a million one and a half million dollars of medical debt for specific people who are living at or below poverty level here in the Evansville area so like people who who are really struggling who've got this this noose hanging around their debt one and a half million dollars of medical debt well we are able to completely erase that entire $1.5 million of debt for those people, and we can do it with a $15,000 contribution from City Church. It's pretty remarkable. So we're going to do that as a church. We've decided. Yeah, please. We have decided that we're going to make that $15,000 contribution. And each of the people who are affected, we don't know who those people are. The the nonprofit organization will will buy back the debt. They will choose the people who are affected by this. But every one of those people will receive a note from City Church that says, We may never meet, but as an act of love in the name of Jesus Christ, your debt has been forgiven. That's what we're going to do. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I want to tell you about this. Our elders have committed to giving that $15,000 to eliminate all of that debt for these people, no matter what. But you need to know, plain and simple, it is not in our church budget. But we felt compelled once we became aware of this opportunity to do this as part of our Engage series. So we're just going to do it. Now, if you would like to contribute to this and help offset that cost, you can do so. And you can also... You know, recorded as an act of love on the, on the LYNEVV.org uh, website. But you need to understand that if you do contribute to it, it won't help us any as a church if you give this at the expense of your regular giving. To help us, it would have to be over and above your regular giving. But I want to say a few things here. Because I recognize that churches are held under great scrutiny, and many people are very skeptical about how churches use their money. So I want to make sure that, we, uh, that I tell you, what we're doing here, so that you don't think that in any way, shape, or form this is a gimmick that will help us raise more money for our church. We're going to do a couple things. The first is this. We're going to keep a close track of all of the contributions that you make for this. So once we reach $15,000, we're going to send out a text and an email to the church to let you know that we've reached our goal so that you don't keep giving uh, beyond that. Now you can give to this. You can do it by cash. We just need a note that says this is for RIP medical debt. Um, you can give by check. We just need you to write a memo, uh, write in the memo line. This is for RIP medical debt. You can give online at our online giving portal. We've got a drop-down menu there, and it says RIP medical debt. Pick that, and it will go to that. What we'll do is we will, we will tally that we'll keep a close look at this, uh, at this amount of money. And, like, if we go slightly over $15,000, all of that is going to go to uh, uh, our benevolence ministry here at church. We'll give it to other organizations here in the area. Uh, that, are, uh, that, that are non-profit organizations that minister to the needs of people here in the Evansville area. Okay? And then what we're going to do also is that we're going to report back to you with a copy of the check. Um, maybe it'll be an online contribution. I'm not exactly sure. Our accountant will tell us, but we'll report back to you with a copy of the check or the online contribution that we make to RIP Medical Debt so that you understand that that's exactly where it went. And we'll also tell you how much over $15,000 was given that we're going to use for our benevolence fund. Okay, so we're, going to, we're doing that to make sure that everything is above board, that you have no questions about our integrity, about how we're doing that. Now, I have one more thing I want to say about this. You might be someone who has the resources to give enough to cover that whole $15,000 in one donation. I would like to ask you not to do that. Because I have a sense that there are many people here in this church who will want to contribute to this. So I'd like to just ask you to keep that in mind. If you have that ability to write a $15,000 check, don't do it. Don't hog the opportunity for everyone else. Because I think there are a lot of people who are going to want to be able to participate. in this. But I just want to say this to you. Whether you choose to participate in this RIP medical debt, reducing medical debt for people in the city of Evansville... Uh, who live at or below poverty level. If you want to participate in that, great. We'd love to have you. If you don't want to participate in that, that's fine too. But find ways. That's the idea behind this series. Find ways to love your neighbor. And then go out and record it on the lynavv.org website so that we can track the acts of love by City Church that the people in this church are doing in our community. Because we want to bring spiritual, social, and cultural renewal to the city of Evansville and beyond. a movement of people who are becoming more human because of what Jesus Christ did for them on the cross and who are learning to love really love not as an extension of self-absorption but to love sacrificially and selflessly because we understand that that's what Jesus did for us he paid our debt we want to show that love and extend that love to the people in the city of Evansville and beyond. Would you please bow your heads with me for prayer? Lord Jesus Christ, um, this morning first we want to say thank you. Thank you for what you have done for us on the cross. And Lord Jesus Christ, we confess, I confess personally, that it is, not naturally, it is not natural for me to love in the way that you love, the way that you have commanded me to love. I fall short of that love. But, Lord Jesus Christ, every single day you're working in me, restoring, renovating, making me more human every day. I pray that would be true of all of us in the room, Lord Jesus Christ. Make us more human. If the essence of human is, humanity is love, then make us more human. We affirm you this morning not only as perfect God, but also as perfect, ultimate, true humanity. Lord Jesus Christ, use City Church in this city and beyond to bring a revival. But Lord, we recognize that it won't just be about our words. It'll be about our actions. Let us be a church, Lord, that is alive, that is demonstrating your love in this community. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus Christ, that we do these things.